It is a distinct honor and high privilege for me today to talk about the landlocked states and the law of the sea. What is a landlocked state? The United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea defines landlocked states in a very clear and forthright manner. That is, landlocked state means a state which has no sea coast. It is by no means general knowledge that the law of the sea is also of interest to landlocked countries. The fact is even much less known that currently 13 of these countries, among them Austria, Switzerland, Luxembourg, Slovakia, Paraguay, Bolivia, Ethiopia, and Mongolia, have a merchant marine, Bolivia even a small high seas fishing fleet under their own flag. Apart from having ships sailing under their flag, landlocked states have developed other maritime interests as well. Austria and Switzerland have, for instance, for a long time been members of the Intergovernmental Oceanographic Commission. Both countries have engaged in marine scientific research, and Austria's petroleum company has engaged in offshore drilling and oil exploration activities. The geographical location of a state, at least in Europe, can therefore no longer be considered a major impediment to maritime uses. Regarding the manifold uses of the seas, landlocked states differ from other countries in one decisive respect. As they do not border the sea, they need transit across the territory of other states in order to be able to benefit from maritime uses. The lack of a coast of their own deprives them of exclusive rights with respect to maritime areas, rights which coastal states derive from the sovereignty they enjoy over the coast. Their geographical location thus places landlocked states at a severe disadvantage relative to their coastal counterparts. The availability of suitable transit facilities is normally subject to little or no control by the landlocked state, and countries of transit have sometimes also used their strategic position as an economic or political lever against the landlocked neighbors. Occasionally, transit has been denied altogether, thereby forcing the landlocked countries to seek alternative routes or means of transport of their goods to and from the sea. It is therefore not at all surprising that many landlocked states in the developing world belong to the group of least developed countries. Let me now turn to the historic evolution of the maritime rights of landlocked states. The thorny question of access to and from the sea for landlocked territories has a long history. As early as in the 11th century, coastal territories in Europe began granting treaty rights to landlocked entities to allow them access to the sea, and certain rivers were internationalized. In the course of World War I, landlocked states like neutral Switzerland clearly felt the great disadvantage of not having ships under their own flag in order to safeguard the supply of their population. However, it was not until new states lacking a sea coast, Austria, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, appeared on the map of Europe at the end of World War I that the right of landlocked states to fly a national flag on the high seas was formally recognized. This was later confirmed by the Declaration of Barcelona of 1921, adopted by a conference on communication and transit convened by the League of Nations. That declaration recognized the right to a flag of states having no sea coast. 
By choosing the form of a declaration rather than that of a convention, the Barcelona Conference emphasized that it was restating an existing principle of international law. However, the right of landlocked countries to fly their own flag on the seas could only be effective if, at the same time, they also enjoyed the right of access thereto. The only generally acceptable way to resolve this problem appeared to be by way of bilateral or multilateral treaty arrangements on transit rights. The Barcelona Convention and Statute on Freedom of Transit of 1921 provided for an internationally recognized right of transit, although with several important restrictions. It did not specifically cater to the particular needs of the landlocked countries and applied only to railway and waterway transport, thus excluding land transport. The convention, furthermore, received only a limited number of ratifications. The right of ships of landlocked states to have access to seaports was enshrined in the Convention and Statute on the International Regime of Maritime Ports concluded by the Second General Conference on Communications and Tra Transit convened in Geneva in 1923. This statute does not lay down the principle of freedom of access to ports, but only one of equality of treatment with regard to such access, equality being achieved by granting national and most favored nation treatment. A further important development were the Geneva Conventions on the Law of the Sea of 1958. At that first United Nations Conference on the Law of the Sea, apart from the now undisputed recognition of the right of landlocked states to their own flag on the seas, the result was rather meager that is, Article 3 of the Convention of the High Seas. That article states that, in order to enjoy the freedom of the seas on equal terms with coastal states, states having no sea coast should have free access to the sea. This access was, however, made contingent on agreement among the states concerned, based on the principle of reciprocity. Thus, the transit rights were in fact made dependent on the goodwill of the coastal states concerned. One of the most important decisions taken at the 1958 Conference on the Law of the Sea related to the Convention of the Continental Shelf, nationalizing the most valuable areas of the seabed in favor of coastal states. It has, however, also to be admitted that the landlocked countries at that time were not yet quite aware of the importance of the oceans as a repository of resources, thus they did not defend their position with the necessary resolve, thereby prejudging themselves to their own detriment for the future. The accelerated process of decolonization in the early 1960s led to an increase in the number of landlocked states, particularly in Africa. In 1965, the pressing demands of newly independent landlocked states led to, the, led to the elaboration within the framework of UNCTAD of the New York Convention on Transit Trade of Landlocked States. This convention, however, is once again based on reciprocity. 
Nevertheless, the 1965 Transit Convention was the first multilateral treaty devoted exclusively to the special transit problems of landlocked states. The convention entered into force in 1967 following its ratification by the required minimum of two landlocked and two transit states having a seacoast. It has thus far been adhered to by 39 states, among them only 18 coastal states, some of which do not even border any landlocked country. Although this convention has largely remained a dead letter, it nevertheless provided a good basis for negotiations on the question of the transit of landlocked countries. Let me now address the Third United Nations Conference on the Law of the Sea, which started in 1973 and concluded with a convention in 1982. The landlocked countries became increasingly aware of the danger to their interest in the, in the transition of the law of the sea from a law of movement to a law of resources. They thus wholeheartedly welcomed the initiative of Malta in 1967 to declare the seabed beyond the limits of national jurisdiction the common heritage of mankind. They formed an alliance with the so-called geographically disadvantaged states, that is, those coastal countries which would derive no little or no benefit from the massive extensions of coastal state jurisdiction. That interest group, called landlocked and geographically disadvantaged, disadvantaged states, chaired by Austria, was marked by a true spirit of solidarity between its developing and developed members. In the end, the group comprised 55 countries and vigorously sought to defend the interests of its members at the third United Nations Conference on the Law of the Sea. The demands of that group at the conference can be characterized as follows. A. Participation in the exploration and exploitation of the marine resources by virtue of a right of their own, marine scientific research being included. B effective enjoyment of the benefits to be derived from the application of the principle that the seabed and the ocean floor beyond the limits of national jurisdiction are the common heritage of mankind. C. Participation in the institutions to be created by the new Convention on the Law of the Sea. And D. Transit rights to and from the sea. The group of landlocked and geographically disadvantaged states demanded a right to participate in the exploration and exploitation of the living resources and the non-living resources of the exclusive economic zone to be created in the course of that conference. Exclusive economic zones of neighboring coastal states, respectively states of the same region or sub-region, on an equal and non-discriminatory basis. They furthermore suggested that the provisions of the exclusive economic zone in a new Convention on the Law of the Sea should replace the 1958 Convention on the Continental Shelf. Therefore, the Continental Shelf beyond 200 nautical miles should be part of the international seabed area and thus belong to the common heritage of mankind. 
The landlocked states also stressed that their right of free access to and from the sea was one of the basic principles of the law of the sea and formed an integral part of the principles of international law. Such rights were considered the only effective instrument for reducing the additional costs incurred by the landlocked countries due to their unfavorable geographical location in relation to the sea. So what became of these demands by the landlocked states? So the overall result of the intense negotiating effort at the Third United Nations Conference on the Law of the Sea was certainly far from wholly satisfying the interests and needs of landlocked states. Their views are only to a certain degree, degree reflected in the new convention. The Convention on the Law of the Sea of 1982, however, constitutes the only solution on which agreement with the coastal states was possible and which nevertheless to a certain, albeit rather narrow, extent reflects the legitimate demands of landlocked states. The preamble of the Convention recognizes the necessity to take into account the interests and needs of mankind as a whole and, in particular, the special interests and needs of developing countries, whether coastal or landlocked. The Convention in Article 17 affirms that ships under the flag of landlocked states enjoy the rights of innocent passage through the territorial sea of other states and that the high seas are open to all states whether coastal or landlocked. Both kinds of states enjoying exactly the same rights as regards the freedom of the high seas. An entire chapter of the 1982 convention that is part 11 is devoted to the overriding problem of transit. The respective articles found their final formulation only after extremely difficult negotiations in which the main spokesperson for the landlocked countries was Austria and for the transit states Peru. The provisions of Part 10 of the Convention share to some extent the narrow scope of the relevant articles of the 1958 Geneva Convention on the High Seas and the 1965 New York Convention on Transit Trade, but at the same time improve the legal situation of the landlocked states. The core provision of this Part 10 is Article 125, which enshrines the right of access by landlocked countries to and from the sea and freedom of transit through the territory of transit states by all means of transport. The right of access is, however, closely linked with and therefore restricted to the purpose of exercising the maritime rights embodied in the Convention, including those relating to the freedom of the high seas and the common heritage of mankind. A relatively broad escape clause allows the transit states to take all necessary measures to protect their national interests and some sort of counterbalance is only established by the non-applicability of the Most Favoured Nation Clause regarding the exercise of the right of access to and from the sea. The requirement of reciprocity was dropped and which certainly represents an improvement over the Convention of 1958 and 1965. Finally, the 1982 Convention as a whole does not derogate from any greater rights in respect of transit that landlocked states may have by agreement 
with particular transit states. Part 10 of the 1982 Convention compared to the 1958 Geneva Convention of the High Seas thus undoubtedly marks some progress by putting the rights of the landlocked states to access to and from the sea within a multilateral and more general context, integrating it into the broader framework of the law of the sea. The right of the transit state to suspend transit nevertheless leaves certain loopholes in favor of that state. The United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea has reduced the degree of dependence of the landlocked on the transit states in comparison to 1958, but has increased it in relation to the 1965 Convention on Transit Trade of Landlocked States, which, however, as has been pointed out, never really had much practical impact. Complete and unrestricted freedom of access to the sea was not within the grasp of a general agreement at the Third United Nations Conference on the Law of the Sea. It must, however, also be noted that many landlocked states are at the same time transit countries. Thus, at the conference, they only offered qualified support for complete freedom of access to and from the sea for landlocked countries. In spite of the undeniable shortcomings from the point of view of landlocked states of the transit provisions of the 1982 Convention, it can, however, be said that on the whole, Part 10, by striking a certain balance between the interests of landlocked on the one and transit states on the other hand, nevertheless constitutes a significant achievement by the landlocked countries. A major deficiency of the 1982 Convention undoubtedly concerns the treatments of ships flying the flag of landlocked states in the ports of a transit state. As these ships are only accorded treatment equal to that of other foreign ships. That rule means that vessels may not be discriminated against the maritime ports for the sole reason that they fly the flag of a landlocked country. Accordingly, this provision amounts to no more than a corollary of the right of landlocked countries to sail ships under their own maritime flag. Furthermore, provisions on legally guaranteed access to those ports from the sea are lacking. The 1982 Convention certainly grants the landlocked states a right to participate in the exploration and exploitation of the living resources of exclusive economic zones. The relevant provisions of Article 69, however, are not only restricted to living resources, but also limited by additional requirements and conditions as to the object and the substantial geographical scope of that participation right. Thus, this right exists only in relation to a surplus as defined by the coastal state, with a very narrow exception clause for developing landlocked countries. Furthermore, it only becomes effective within a sub-region or a region, but even in this restricted area, it does not take precedence over other participation rights. Rather, it must compete with them, with a final decision being left to the coastal state. Following the same system as for the right of transit, the exercise of the right of landlocked states relating to fisheries is made contingent upon additional agreements with the coastal states concerned. It also cannot be enjoyed in the exclusive economic zones of coastal states which are overwhelmingly dependent on fisheries, nor by developed landlocked states 
and the exclusive economic zones of developing countries. The prohibition of the transfer of these participation rights to other states is accompanied by their subordination under Article 62 of the Convention, which permits the coastal state to require the landlocked states to share with itself the benefit from those exploitation activities. In this context, the constantly diminishing yields are already causing economic difficulties for many coastal states, as well as the rising demand for fish caused by population increase must also be borne in mind. Hence, the fishing rights granted to landlocked states constitute in practice a nudimus, certainly for developed landlocked countries. The determined resistance by the coastal states did not allow for a right to some participation by the landlocked states in the exploration and exploitation of the non-living resources of the continental shelf. The continental shelf doctrine, granting sovereign rights to coastal states over the continental shelf for the purpose of exploring it and exploiting its natural resources, had already been too firmly anchored in international law. Within the newly created International Seabed Authority, the landlocked states are accorded some, albeit very few, special rights. The 1994 Implementation Agreement to the Convention provides that developing landlocked and geographically disadvantaged states are to have representation on the Council of the Seabed Authority in the same manner, however, as several other groups of states. In electing the members of the Council, the Assembly of the Authority shall ensure that landlocked and geographically disadvantaged states are represented to a degree which is reasonably proportionate to their representation in the Assembly. On the whole, the effect of the provisions of Part 11 of the 1982 Convention relating to landlocked states does not consist so much in granting them preferential treatment over the coastal states as a kind of compensation for their other maritime disadvantages as in ensuring their participation in the benefits to be derived from the international seabed area and in defeating any attempts to exclude them therefrom. The rights of the landlocked as well as the geographically disadvantaged states regarding marine scientific research activities are enshrined in Article 254 of the 1982 Convention. Although these states are entitled to be informed of planned marine scientific research projects and to participate in such projects, this right depends on additional conditions and requirements. It permits them to participate only in projects carried out by third states and competent international organizations in the exclusive economic zone of neighboring coastal states. Detailed information must be given to the landlocked and geographically disadvantaged states only if appropriate, and they must be given the opportunity to participate in such research activities only whenever feasible. Experts nominated by them may be objected to by the coastal state. As regards the provisions of the 1982 Convention on the Law of the Sea on the Settlement of Disputes, these provisions, despite their progressive and promising effect from a general point of view, do not endow landlocked states besides, despite the efforts at the conference, with all the judicial and other means necessary to guarantee the full use of their limited rights.
What has happened in this field since the adoption of the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea in 1982? Since that time, the number of landlocked states has further increased. At present, the number of these countries with the United Nations membership stands at 43, 15 in Africa, 14 in Europe, 12 in Asia, and two in South America. 36 landlocked countries are parties to the 1982 Convention. All, all the landlocked countries in Africa, Asia, and South America, as well as two of them in Central and Eastern Europe, are developing countries, facing severe challenges to growth and development intra alia due to a poor physical infrastructure and remoteness from world markets. The transit provisions of the Convention seem to have had a positive effect on some of the bilateral agreements concluded since between landlocked and transit states. For example, in 1991, Mongolia and China concluded an agreement on the access to and from the sea and transit transport by Mongolia through China's territory. In 1994, Ethiopia and Djibouti signed an agreement by which Djibouti guaranteed to Ethiopia the permanent right of access to the sea and to transit goods from and to Ethiopia through its territory. Furthermore, Ethiopia was guaranteed the right to use the installations and equipment of the port of Djibouti and, if necessary, to invest in order to promote Ethiopia's foreign trade. In their national legislation on the exclusive economic zone, the states concerned appear to generally have ignored the provisions of the Law of the Sea Convention in respect of the sharing of surplus resources with landlocked and geographically disadvantaged states. There are, however, some exceptions. In 1992, Bolivia and Peru entered into a series of agreements which contemplate, among other things, the possibility that Bolivia may enter into joint ventures with Peruvian companies to engage in fishing activities in the Peruvian Exclusive Economic Zone. Morocco and Togo, in their relevant legislation referring to African solidarity, have indicated their readiness to allow neighboring landlocked countries access to the living resources of the Exclusive Economic Zones. As regards marine scientific research, however, the coastal states do not seem to have taken account of the rights of landlocked countries in their domestic legislation. As regards developing landlocked countries, reference should also be made to the so-called Sao Paulo Consensus, adopted by the United Nations Conference on Trade and Development, UNCTAD, in June 2004, which inter alia deals with the special problems of landlocked developing countries, as well as the rela related challenges faced by transit developing countries. The document outlines the goals of UNCTAD in addressing these problems within a new global framework for transit transportation cooperation between landlocked and transit developing countries. These goals, which include technical assistance, should make it easier for landlocked and transit states to build the legal framework containing the agreed terms and modalities for exercising freedom of transit at the bilateral, sub-regional or regional level. The 2005 World Summit recognized the sp special needs of and challenges faced by landlocked developing countries and reaffirmed the commitment by the international community to urgently address these needs and challenges through the full, timely and effective implementation of relevant 
internationally agreed programs. Let me also mention that the United Nations General Assembly annually adopts a resolution on the topic Oceans and the Law of the Sea, which calls upon donor agencies and international financial institutions to bear in mind the interests and needs of landlocked developing states in ensuring the availability in all states of the economic, legal, navigational, scientific and technical skills necessary for the full implementation of the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea, as well as the sustainable development of the oceans and seas nationally, regionally and globally. In assessing the present situation of landlocked countries with respect to the law of the sea, it should also not be overlooked that a fundamental change has occurred with respect to those landlocked countries which have become members of the European Union. When signing the United Nations Convention of the Law of the Sea in 1984, the European community indicated that its member states have transferred competence to it with regard to the conservation and management of sea fishing resources, competences concerning rules and regulations for the protection and preservation of the marine environment, as well as certain powers with regard to the provisions of Part 10 of the 1982 Convention. European law applies to the entire area under the sovereignty of the member states and thus the four basic freedoms, freedom of movement of persons, goods, services and capital are applicable and any discrimination against nationals of member states is prohibited. If a member state extends its area of jurisdiction, the area of applicability of European Union law is automatically extended. This also holds true, for instance, for the continental shelf. The Common European Fisheries Policy provides for the allotment of quotas of the total allowable catch to individual member states. Although the criteria underlying the quota allocation, namely the traditional fishing patterns, do not favor fishing activities by nationals of landlocked countries, there do not seem to be fundamental obstacles regarding such activities. On the contrary, the European Court of Justice has ruled explicitly that coastal member states are prohibited from restricting the fishing activities of nationals of other member states, thus including landlocked countries, undertaken from the territory of the coastal states. In view of this situation, the landlocked member states of the European Union are landlocked in theory rather than in practice. Let me conclude. It has taken quite some time for certain legitimate interests of the landlocked states with regard to the sea to be recognized in international law. The, the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea of 1982 undoubtedly represents a major step forward in this respect by reaffirming and in some ways also extending the nevertheless still rather limited rights of these states regarding maritime uses. Moreover, one of the major and lasting results of the Third United Nations Conference on the Law of the Sea was to heighten the awareness of the international community that the law of the sea is also of considerable importance and interest to the landlocked countries. At the same time, the landlocked states themselves have become more conscious of the fact than ever before and endeavor to continue contributing to the further development of that field of international law. Thank you very much for your kind attention.